Thanks for joining us on Jobsessed, Monsters podcast that's all about looking for, landing, and loving your next job. Do you ever feel like all your peers are racing to the top of the career ladder while you're still stuck at the bottom wondering how you'll ever make it? That's pretty much how today's guest felt. Jennifer Romolini is the author of a new book called Weird in a World That's Not, a career guide for misfits, f***-ups, and failures. A self-described member of each of those groups, as her book will tell you, she's managed to work at places like Yahoo, Glamour, most recently Hello Giggles, and is now the chief content officer for Shondaland, a new website from television's Shonda Rhimes. So we wanted to talk with Jennifer about her atypical career path because we're pretty sure she's not the only one who has felt like she wasn't fitting into the typical job seekers mold. Um, So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming and taking the time to talk with us. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to start at the point in your story where you were 27 years old and you were currently unemployed. You really didn't have any relevant career experience yet. You'd failed out of one of the colleges you went to, but you were determined to break into publishing and media. So you went on 23 interviews (laughs) in New York City. So, okay, my first question is, how did you manage to get those interviews? Well, I did, you know, I didn't do very many smart things, but um, one smart thing I did was I found a, um, a course, it's now called the Columbia Publishing Course, And it's a six-week training program for people who want to break into, at that point, it was books and magazines, but now it includes digital. Um, And I managed to get in. I applied and I managed to get in. In order to pay for it, I had to waitress uh, for three months, uh, pretty much seven days a week. Um, But anyway, I got into it. And one of the things you, you realize when you're starting a job search, you know, from nothing is you need connections. The thing that's going to help you the most is somebody who can help you get a foot in the door. And I had none of that. And I had no pedigree. And I had not come up in circles that included the kinds of professional people I wanted to know. So I went to this course and I mean, it gave me lots of things, but the best thing it gave me was it gave me access to a lot of different people in publishing because it had a lot of different instructors. It changed instructors almost every week um, and had several people coming in to speak. So you you gained access to these people who were doing what you wanted to do. Um, And the head of the course also would help you set you up on interviews. So at the end of these 23 interviews, it's not a Cinderella story. (laughs) You didn't get any of those jobs. (laughs) No. Well, I had a trumped up resume for sure. I had a resume that was fluffy and included a lot of the language that you put in like these overly formal resumes. And really anybody, you know, worth any boss worth anything can look at a resume like that and say, oh, this is this is bullshit. This is none of this is true. And that was part of the problem. I was writing these sort of silly, overly formal cover letters. By the 24th job interview, I was really honest in my cover letter. I said that I didn't have much experience, but I conveyed my eagerness and my, you know, my earnest desire to be a part of the field. And I was a lot more honest in the interview. And I think by that point, I realized that I had value that I didn't realize I had before, that I had been working since I was 13 years old, that I knew how to talk to people because I'd been in, 
I'd been in restaurants and hospitality. I'd been supporting myself since I was 18. I really understood things about the real world that brought actually a lot to an assistant job. And it took me all of those interviews to realize that like, oh, this isn't just about like the business of publishing. This is about being able to anticipate a boss's needs and know how to communicate those needs to other people. So I had a lot more value than I thought I had. And by the 24th interview, I was able to assert that in an interview. And I think that's one of the most valuable insights someone can learn from your book is this idea of really taking a good look at yourself. And like you said, it took you these 23 interviews to get to this point, but saying, what is my value? You know, I may not look exactly like the other candidates that are coming in, but I've got something completely different that might be even worth more. You know, like you had things that other entry-level candidates didn't have. You had years more experience. Yes. And that was unique to me. And that is what you want to convey in your resume and your cover letter, like what is your unique value? Because you have it. You just need to discover it. Sounds like when you had that 24th interview that you described so well, there, there was something in that interview that um, isn't in, in, you know, is, is really important, which is chemistry. You and your first boss had a lot of, had some good chemistry when you met. Yeah. And I mean, look, you can't replicate that. You can't make that happen. That's going to happen or it's not going to happen. And it's, it's maddening, but it's also to your benefit because if you're faking it and just trying to get the job at all costs and not thinking, how do I feel about this person? How do I feel about this job? You oftentimes wind up in a situation that is a bad fit for you that is with a person who doesn't get you, that you don't get. And the job winds up being a lot harder than it needs to be because you don't have that sort of like fundamental understanding of each other. So one of the things that I think about a lot now is, you know, if they don't want you, you don't want them. And I I help soften the rejection a little bit because this is, you know, ego bruising. The job search process is really painful. Um, but it's not if you think about it as you're searching for a fit for you as much as you are trying to get a job. You're searching for the right job. Absolutely. Because I think for most of us, the best jobs are the ones that have had the great coworkers, the great boss, the great work environment, you know, um, and, and those things are so, so important at the end of the day. But again, the, the, your story didn't end there. Um, because that company, the company folded after six months. And so you were out of a job again. Yes. Um, so this is where I think things really began for you. And, um, tell me about that period. You know, it sounds like you were doing a lot of different types of jobs. Um, what we, today we call the side hustle. Well, I wasn't, okay. So I think there's a difference between that because we call it the side hustle, but I feel like our side hustles can get kind of really far afield from what our actual day-to-day work is. And the closer we can bring those two things, the better. Um, I was trying to find ways to support myself in publishing, right? So that job went under, then I got another job and that magazine went under, and then I got a third job and that went under. And that (laughs) happened all within the course of about 18 months. Oh my God. So it was, I was, I was broke. I mean, I was so in the hole. 
And at that point, I'd been a waitress for a really long time, and I knew I could make money as a waitress. But I didn't want to go back to it because I knew that moving backward was going to be a mistake. I knew that at this point, it had to be only forward motion. I was almost 30 at this point. Um, So what I started to do was I tried to find things in the industry that I could do. And yes, those were side hustles. Like I wrote on the side, I wrote for kitchen and bath magazines. I wrote quizzes. Um, you know, what's your countertop personality? I, I mean, I would write anything. I wrote, um, special advertising sections for like targets magazine. I was also during the day taking a series of fact checking jobs, which was not permanent work, but was like, you'd come in as they needed you. Um, but it was relevant to your field. So that I think is key. Yes. And I tried to find anything relevant to my field. And I'll tell you that why that was key was that kitchen and bath magazine, that editor went on to be at a real magazine or a more, you know, a magazine I wanted to work for the fact checking gigs. All of those editors went on to do other things. So I was building a network and that was really important as I grew in my career. And, you know, I, I did good work. I kept my nose clean. I built a good reputation in all of those side hustles, and that helped me a lot later on. Absolutely, um, and you know, and then something that I I really wanted to ask you about is when you you eventually did you landed a real editor job after you know it sounds like several years of yes of building this very um, robust you know network of connections and work and experience, and um, you finally got this this job. And so after having done all this and doing these, you know, different types of things, and now you're exactly where you had wanted to be all this time, did you ever suffer from what, you know, imposter syndrome? Like, did you get there and go, oh my God, I don't even, I don't even know if I know how to do this because I've never done this exact thing. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to be an editor. I had no idea. Um, and the boss kind of knew that. So I was not their first choice. They, they hired somebody else and the other person sort of flamed out spectacularly in six weeks. And I wound up getting the job because of that. So that's another thing. Like, you just never know. I was this, I was the second up, you know, and she just happened to really fail. And so I got it. And he was like, you know, you don't have any experience, but you have an air of competence. And so I'm going to give you a shot. And I didn't know what I was doing. And so I had to work extra hard at it. I mean, my, I had no idea how to edit. I was like looking at like, okay, what do other people do? And I reached out for help. I found people at that job fairly quickly. And I said, I don't totally know how to edit a long form piece. Can you help me? And I think that that's also important is to, I mean, I didn't say it to my boss, but I said it to people on my level, like, not, I don't know how to do this, but could you help me with this? I'd love your opinion. I'd love the way you edit things. Where do you think the story is? Do you have time here? And I got some support in the beginning and I, I picked it up fast. I didn't abuse that. But in the very beginning, I asked for help and, you know, I needed to. A lot of millennials and people just entering the workforce are being labeled um, with having a sense of entitlement. And you have a whole chapter about that on how, how to kind of, how to really manage the difference between being entitled and ambitious. 
Well, I mean, the reason I wrote that chapter was because I really wanted to debunk this this idea that millennials were entitled um, and that that, you know, there's just like this whole like generation of like entitled jerks, like trying to get jobs they don't deserve and, you know, promotions they don't deserve, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I really didn't like what I was hearing from bosses my age that, you know, these people were lazy. They were asking for too much because in a lot of ways, I feel like millennials have the right idea. They want quality treatment at work. They want mentorship. They want things explained to them. They want to be heard. They care about their own self-care. Um, they're not willing to just take a lot of the abuse that I think Gen Xers did. Um, but I think that there's a problem happening in that older generations and because of how fast companies work um, now and because of how fast you are promoted or thrown in, there aren't as many apprenticeships. I think that we're not teaching sort of fundamental business etiquette. Um, and what happens is people don't know how to communicate their ambition appropriately. And they don't even really know how to own that ambition appropriately, right? Because they haven't really watched somebody else move through business. Um, so they're asking things in convoluted ways. They're not getting right to the point. They're not taking as much ownership and as accountability as they need to over their own careers. So I, I try to frame ambition and entitlement in a way that's like, ambition is proactive. Ambition says, I want this. How can I get it? Entitlement says, gimme, right? And it's this, it's this thing between being a kid and an adult. And you really need to turn on your adult brain and be ambitious and not have all the insecurity and vulnerability of your kid brain that makes you seem entitled. It's the same, it's the same impulse, really. It's just the way that you communicate it. I think part of this is like radical introspection, um, just constantly evaluating you know, what do I actually know how to do? What are my skills? Being realistic about what you have to offer. And those are hard questions to ask yourself. Like, are you good? What are you not good at? You know, what can you get better at? Um, and answering those questions yourself so that your boss doesn't have to. I think the two areas that you talked about that I found really interesting were um, asking for raises and asking for promotions. And uh, you use this analogy that I just love, which is, you know, this idea that people, you know, people sometimes, some people really want to get promoted, promoted, promoted very quickly. Um, and, and I've often thought this, you know, well, if you get promoted to, you know, executive vice president by age 28, well, then where do you go? <laughs> and you're just going to be doing that for a long time. But the other thing is that and I love this analogy, which is your yoga analogy. If you're just a beginner at yoga and somehow you get thrown to the front of the class, you're just always looking behind you to see what the people, you know, that are better than you are doing. And it's a terrible way to feel. Right. No, I, yes, I think that, you know, everybody's in a rush in their careers. They're, I, I want this promotion. I want the better title. I want this. I really believe that you need to take your time. 
within reason, but you need to learn how to do things. The emphasis should be on competence and skills because they're, you know, if a boss is foolish enough to overpromote you, they're actually doing you a disservice. What winds up happening is you get this inflated title. You don't know how to do anything, really. You go on to get the next job and you're in this job and you don't have the skills you need. And as you get further up, there's less mentorship. There are more expectations. There's more pressure. And if you haven't done the work before that, you wind up in a situation where you're just in a panicked state all the time. And that's how you have sort of spectacular failure. Absolutely. You nailed it. The last thing I wanted to talk with you about is um, something that many people who are going to Monster are thinking about, which is how to quit the job they hate or basically how to quit your job in general. And you have a really great kind of choose your own adventure style chapter all about this, um, which, you know, you can go through a whole list of scenarios of what, why it is you're thinking of leaving your job. And then depending on what that reason is, how to go about um, quitting. So what, what kind of prompted you to write this particular chapter? Well, this was a, this was a war with the publisher because this was a sort of it was a nightmare in production um, to do your choose your own adventure chapter in the middle of a book. But anyway, um, I, I really wanted it because I feel like quitting your job is such a process. It's like everybody tells you one door closes and another one opens, but we don't really talk about the hallway in between. And there's this thing about when you realize you're unhappy in a job that you're in this hallway, right? And it's a lot to negotiate because there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of having to push yourself out of a comfort zone. There's a lot of logistics. And then there's a lot of feeling exposed because going into getting another job when you have something secure is terrifying, right? And I really wanted to walk through it and talk about the journey that it is really like, and start out with like, well, where are you? Why do you hate your job? Is it because of the job or is it because of you? So I think the beauty of this chapter is that, the, that you lay out so many different scenarios for how you might feel as, as, a, as somebody who is hating their job and, and wants another one. Um, and there's so many permutations that we can't get into all of them. But, you know, generally speaking, I'm sure there are people listening who are saying, yeah, I hate my job um, and I definitely would like a new one. Um, what, what are some kind of big takeaways that you'd like people to know about what they should be thinking when they're, when they're wanting to quit their job? Well, I think in most things in life, you have a choice to be bored or afraid. Um, and if you don't want to be bored, then you're going to have to be afraid. And you have to sort of sit with what is going to be okay for you. I would rather be scared. Um, and I think that in the job search process, that's what you need to accept, that you're going to be scared, that you're going to feel vulnerable, that you're going to feel exposed. Um, but that you can do it anyway, that the end result is going to be something new that's going to challenge you, something new that might bring you more satisfaction, 
that you need to sort of take that leap into the unknown because stagnating forever is just really not an option. I feel like that sort of like sad office humor cliche that we all get into is because we get so comfortable. We get so comfortable with, you know, our vacation days and my benefits. And we don't think like, actually, I need to use my brain. I need to learn more. I need to be challenged. I feel like you're a better employee if you allow yourself to sit in that fear and make the change anyway. Amen to that. I absolutely agree. And um, and I'm sure that many people listening are, you know, if they're on the fence between between fear and comfort, that maybe that will help give them the little push that they're they've been looking for. Um, thank you, Jennifer, so much for spending some time with us today. And I know we've had a few sound issues that some of you may have heard along the way. So thanks for bearing with us. Um, but your book is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Weird in a world that's not. There's a lot more in there that I did not get to talk about. So please check it out. Um, and thanks again so much, Jen. Thank you so much for having me, and good luck to everybody. We hope you were inspired by Jennifer's story and you feel ready to take some chances with your career, to face your fear and get out of your comfort zone. A great place to start is by checking out the jobs on Monster. We've got jobs in pretty much every field and almost every corner of the earth, so take a look for your dream job and then go for it. Have any ideas for an upcoming podcast? Send me an email to julia.gainer at monster.com. We love hearing from our listeners. We also love reviews, so if you feel like it, please review Jobsest on iTunes. Until next time, happy job hunting.